Maria's mom died when she was two years old. For nearly three decades, Maria tried many different approaches to understand her grief. She learned that people need to understand how to navigate grief and in 2020, founded Philotimo Life, an organization that works to normalize the conversation around death to create generational wellness. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd certainly appreciate it. And now, Maria's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm glad you're here. I just realized I'm on such a roll of having just Daughters Without Moms on here since my nephew's reel went viral and I have so many people signing up. But if you're listening, I also love to have men on the podcast. I've had a couple men on there before. I've had sons without moms. I've had husbands without wives. So even though we are daughters without moms, there's other stories of grief that um, we'd also like to share on the podcast. So um, I'm going to turn the mic over to Maria and let her introduce herself and tell us her story. And then she's going to share what she's done personally with her grief and how she's turned that into a way to support others. And she's going to pronounce it a whole lot better than I can. So I'm not even going to say it right now. I'll let, let Maria do that. So so Maria, thank you for being here today. And we look forward to hearing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, my name is Maria Vasiliu and I am the founder of Filotimo Life. Um, my story starts when I was two years old. This is when my, my mom died. And for various reasons, such as my age, uh, I have a lack of knowledge around that time, um, just because I was an infant, unaware of what was going on. Um, from my understanding, I know that she was she was sick for a while, at least a year, kind of in at a hospital um, with what she was going through. And whenever I reflect on that time period, I often think and I often wonder about what my family was experiencing, particularly my dad being a, a single parent, having to raise a child by himself. Um, how was the community supporting him at the time? What were his support systems in place? Like all of these questions um, come to mind whenever I think about, oh man, I was, I was like two years old and my dad was just hitting 30. Um, also keeping in mind that this was in the nineties. So paired with the reality of being immigrants um, and there were, and still are a lot of mentalities and ideas that kind of need to still be processed in these types of situations in terms of like unlearning and learning new, new skills. Um, and the, that, that continues to take place within the community. Um, I also think of like the technical side of things during that time for my dad that many people may often overlook. So my dad was a single parent of a daughter. And I think of how lots of parents often um, bring their same gender child with them to the changing rooms or the bathrooms, for example, when they're going to like water parks or theme parks. And I sometimes think about, did, did they have family changing rooms at that time? Did they have family bathrooms as abundantly as they did in the 90s and early 2000s like we do now? Like they're very commonplace. Um, how did he navigate those situations? And I, I just recall moments where he would wait outside of the woman's bathroom for me, just waiting to come, come out just to make sure I was safe. Um, so even taking it back like five years prior to that, like what was going through his mind during this time? Um, these are just some questions that I often think about um, when I reflect uh, during that time uh, when my mom died. 
Um, and just like all the ways that my dad probably had to navigate these situations just as a single parent. And then also the community and the supports around him at that time, like how did those situations um, play out? Um, in addition to that, I also reflect on the time um, with the idea that a lot of people assume that children don't necessarily understand or process what's going on. Um, death is kind of seen as this thing where it happens and kids don't really understand and we don't really want to talk about it because for whatever reason, death isn't seen as something children can comprehend, which to me, I always laugh when I think about that because we also say kids are like sponges. They absorb everything around us and they absorb everything. They see everything they hear. And yet when it comes to death in particular, we like to have this idea that no, they don't understand what's going on. No, they, there's lack of processing. And I can see, and I can appreciate the idea around that for children in terms of wanting to kind of protect them or kind of shelter them, depending on what type of word you want to use from the reality of death. But the truth is, and as someone who's lived through it, no matter how young they may seem or may be at the time, they will be impacted by it. Um, we just need to acknowledge that the way they navigate these situations will be differently than the adult counterparts um, in terms of like the languaging or the, the communication styles um, will be different from adults, but they still do process it and are impacted by it. Um, when I was thinking about this, actually, one story that I want to share is um, I, I stumbled across a ton of video cassettes a couple of years ago, and it was just tons of video from my family and my and my mom. And there was one particular one from Christmas, the Christmas right before she died. And there was a part where I'm opening my Christmas presents. I'm super excited as a little kid. I'm just like, yeah, stuffed animals. This is awesome. And I walk over to my mom and I'm basically like pulling her to come and dance with me. And as we're dancing in a circle um, with my new stuffed animals, I'm very, very excited. And the video just kind of cuts out at the end and it goes to black like that's the goes to white sorry and and that's the end of the 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 scene kind of between me and her and whenever I see that video clip I really like to think that baby Maria knew that her mom was dying and she knew that she wasn't going to be here for a very long time um and she wanted to just like soak up as much airtime as possible <laughs> with her um and I'm so grateful for like little Maria little Maria for doing that because she really now in present moment really loves that video footage with her mom um so this is just kind of like a reminder that the kid kids know kids know what, what what's going on um whether they're able to express it um to the adults in their lives uh or not they have they have an understanding they may just lack the range or the vocabulary to truly express it in the way that adults are familiar with so um when it comes to fast forwarding a little bit, when I was in school, particularly around kindergarten and elementary school, um, navigating these situations and environments as a kid without a parent was always very, very interesting. Uh, I remember one time, I wanna say I was in kindergarten or maybe grade one, we kind of had like a breakout session and we were told to just draw kind of like free play. And in this moment, I chose to draw my family. So I drew, my dad and me in front of this house with like a little tree and I put my mom in the sky as an angel because up until that point everyone had told me that when she died she turned into an angel and she was watching over me 
Um, so that's where I put her. And uh, I remember when I finished drawing, a kid next to me pointed at the woman in the sky and said, oh, why is she in the sky? And I said, oh, that's my mom. She's dead. And I'm fairly certain I traumatized the kid to some degree. Um, but that was my reality. That was my lived experience when it came to death. And I, I was aware of it. I knew death was going to happen to me at some point. I know my mom was, was dead. I knew she was gone. And I knew it was a definitive action or definitive experience that people go through. Like there was no coming back from it. I knew that as a child. Um, I knew my mom wasn't going to be coming back. So I had a concept of this afterlife, but that's not the realities that other kids had to navigate growing up, um, especially at such a young age. And I appreciate my dad for this when I was growing up because he, he really wanted me to feel quote unquote normal, just based on the traditional ideas and attitudes at the time. And as I got older, I didn't realize this until, until later on, but he would often at the beginning of the school year, speak to the teachers at the beginning and say, Hey, Maria doesn't have a mom. Um, and he did this kind of with the intent of making sure that teachers and staff were sensitive to the realities of, for example, Mother's Day, whenever that would come up. And instead of focusing on making cards um, specifically for moms, I remember teachers having the language um, to make cards for women in our lives that we loved and appreciated. And I remember as a little kid being so appreciative of it because each year I still remember having anxiety about those days coming up and being like, oh man, I don't have a mom. Who am I going to make a card for what's going on? And then each year, uh, the teachers would say, and for your grandmas or your aunts or your caregivers or something. Um, so we're just reflecting on that. I'm just so appreciative of, of those, those little moments. Um, so I love that he did that because again, it, it, it impacted me. I'm sure it impacted the teachers because they gained a better and an, a, an additional understanding of some of the lived realities that some kids are going through. And uh, I don't know if there's any evidence of this somewhere, but I'm guaranteeing that there was definitely like a ripple effect for future classes um, as a result of him doing that. Uh, when I got into high school, I... I kind of spent most of the time leading up to that point in my life, believing that my mom's death didn't affect me. And that kind of was the result of being told like, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. It's you're, you're like, you're good. You're, you're fine. You're all fine. And um, that came just from the ideas that my family would say to me. And at the time I was so young when it happened, I, I didn't know anything different. Like I didn't know what it was like to have a mom and then go from not having a mom. Um, from their perspective. So growing up, I want to say I kind of internalized this idea that her death didn't impact me and I was quote unquote fine. Like there was no big deal. As soon as I hit high school, I remember, I remember actively choosing to avoid talking about my mom. And I kind of became this like master deflector um, at making sure I had control in conversations and navigating discussions the way I wanted them to go. And whenever conversations about parents um, came up, again, I was able to kind of deflect those conversations with such ease and just like kind of pivot them in a way that I didn't have to bring up my mom. Part of the reason I did this was because I didn't want to be seen as a downer because in previous conversations, whenever I brought this up, just people, just their energies would get low. And I was like, I don't want to cause that. Um, 
even though now I know it's not a downer conversation, it just is the reality of what people go through. Um, I also didn't want to have to manage other people's emotions when it came to these conversations. Um, this is something I've actually realized over the last few years. Often whenever I would speak about my mom growing up, I would almost have to kind of comfort the other person when talking about it, um, which also kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, I'm the one with the dead mom here. I don't know why you're crying. Like, are you, are you okay? <laughs> and just those experiences, I, I just really wanted to avoid. Um, so I would, I would often avoid talking about that part of my life growing up. Um, and I remember this one situation that kind of affirmed my choice and not telling anybody about my mom. It was, I think I was in grade, grade 10 or 11 or something. And, um, someone's dad had died in my grade. And I remember being in the girl's changing room at this time and hearing conversations with people trying to guess what he had died from. And I remember being so mad at these people talking as if they had like this right to talk about this topic, almost as if it was like a fun game, like trying to figure out like what, what had taken place. And I remember being so angry and at the same time, feeling so validated in choosing not to talk about my mom, because the idea of them talking in that same way about them, I know myself at that age, I know I would not have been able to keep my mouth shut. Um, so in the moment, again, I was, I was so, so frustrated, but at the same time, so glad that I chose to keep that element and that aspect of myself to myself. Um, when I hit university, my, I still was kind of in this mindset of, um, I wasn't necessarily affected by my mom's death. So that kind of carried through up, up until university. And I still chose to not really talk about it to other people. Um, only a select few that I was very comfortable with, or I kind of knew that they wouldn't look at me kind of differently or give me those like pity eyes of like, oh, poor girl, dead mom, so sad or anything like that. Um, they just kind of looked at me as regular person um so I would say it wasn't until probably after university where I started to kind of like crack away at the idea that my mom's death didn't impact me and I started to reflect like oh wait I think it kind of did <laughs> um later on so um early on in adulthood there was this moment I remember where people in the lives of my friends began to die and for those who were close to me, they, they knew I didn't have a mom. So they would actually ask me about my lived experiences. And I kind of became this person that they would come to in terms of asking, how do you navigate social situations or how do you navigate different dynamics now because of um, what happened? And one example I can give in particular uh, about this is that my friend's father died and she actually asked me, how do you navigate conversations about family? Um, whether it's with new people you had just met or just random discussions, or if you're on a date or if you're at work and you don't really want to talk about it, like, how do you, how did you navigate it? How do you navigate it? And I remember at the time I, I would tell her, if you need to, if you feel like the person on the receiving end of this information won't take it well, or you just don't want to deal with the response, just lie. And I remember the disbelief on her face and just like being so taken aback um, at my response. And I just remember telling her like, there are several situations 
particularly when I was younger, where I would just straight up lie to people, um, just based off of, I don't know what to tell you, like the vibe, um, that they were giving off. I didn't want to deal with their reaction. I, I would just lie about having a mom or just about my family dynamics, because I, I knew if I didn't, the conversation would go in a direction I didn't want it to. Um, I even remember having a conversation with someone who they themselves, their mom died when they were in their twenties, I believe. And their response to me after I had shared what I had gone through was, oh, I can't imagine growing up without a mom and not having that love and experience. And I remember the, my first gut reaction to that was, that's a weird thing to say to someone. My response is, I can't imagine growing up with a mom and then not having that love and care ripped away from me. Like my, my thought with that is this is not a competition. Death is death. And one death doesn't outweigh another death when it takes place. So even to have these types of comments from people who have kind of gone through something similar to me, maybe because I, I work in the space or just because it highlights to me that there's a serious lack of grief and death liter literacy in our culture, and this kind of needs to be addressed and changed. Um, so something, something I wanted to share with the, with the listeners is um, who may have not experienced a death like this is that it's really mentally taxing having to put on this kind of like brave face or this like very brave persona um, when someone tells me uh, that they're so sorry about my loss or navigating their worry and fear and then the potential of having to navigate really invasive questions coming into play. It's just not something I want to deal with. And it's not something I really want my friends to deal with. Um, so I, I told her like, you need to gauge the vibe and if needed, just, just lie. Like that's, that's my reality with this. Um, so she, they took the advice and I, occasionally they would lie just because they were like, this is not a vibe I want to deal with. Um, and this has happened a handful of times with other friends for a period where I kind of became again, like this person that they would come to, to talk about death and how do they navigate it with their friends? How do they navigate with their family members who may not have experienced it before um, or may not be familiar with it and how it's impacted their life. And there was a part of me with this where I was very grateful that I was able to support uh, my friends during these challenging times. And it felt grateful kind of in like a weird morbid way where I was like, oh man, I'm so glad I kind of got that out of my system, like out of the way early on in my life to process. Um, but another part of me was like, man, this sucks. Like it just kind of made me realize like how much I actually had altered my actions growing up just to navigate the systems and the situations I was placed in. And by extension kind of also made me realize like how many gaps we have in our understanding of death and grief. Um, and how for something that will impact literally every living being on the planet, we are so vastly unprepared and uneducated to navigate these situations, both as individuals and us in communities. So when, when I think about this, I, I think about my mid to late 20s, and this is when I start to creep up on getting close to the age that my mom was when she died. And coupled with everything else that had happened the years prior, I really started to realize, oh, wait a second, this, this actually impacted me and my understanding of life and death more than I thought it did. Like I started to really realize like, oh, I'm, I'm coming up on that age. Like I'm, there's going to be a point where I have more lived life experience than my mom, which is a bizarre sentence to say. Um, 
And I just think of how it impacted a lot of aspects of myself throughout childhood and adolescence. And I definitely in the moment did not recognize or realize that. Um, I, I soon came to appreciate my understanding of death and life more because I had, and I continued to have a very different understanding of what it means to be alive and to live life compared to others roughly my age, um, who may or may not have gone through the death of an immediate loved one. And that can either relate to risk-taking tolerance or decision-making or emotional wellness and processing, um, and also how I, how I choose to spend my time. So as I was starting to grapple with this reality of, oh, I'm, I'm fast approaching the, the age that my mom was when she died, the pandemic hit. And um, that was 2020. And that is the year that Philotimo Life was founded. Um, I remember at the beginning of 2020, when I was going through my own, my own grief work and recognizing everything else that was unfolding as the year uh, progressed, I remember thinking of how much unresolved and unprocessed grief that was going to be taking place and impacting this generation and future generations afterwards. Um, I believe it was in April or May of 2020, there was actually an HBR uh, article that was titled, That Emotion You're Feeling is Grief. And I remember it circulating quite a bit within various networks and various communities. Um, and I was so happy someone wrote this piece about it in the context of the pandemic, because I remember having this feeling of unease and um, worry and anxiety, just like all of these emotions. And I didn't know what it was and I could label individual aspects of it. But when this article came out and I was able to label it as grief, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is an emotion. This is an aspect of humanity that we need to be able to label and recognize as what it is. And when I reflect on being a kid, we're, we're taught emotions, we're taught happiness, sadness, all of these other things, but we're not taught about grief. And grief is in so many experiences that we go through, but we're not taught to label it. So when that article came out, I remember being just kind of overjoyed, weirdly enough. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's giving people the tools and the skills and needed to recognize like what they're going through. Um, because there is, and there continues to be grief-related incidents and these situations are not being addressed in our current policies or our systems. And as mentioned, like our education systems. Um, I come from the belief that if we're teaching our kids trigonometry, we need to be teaching them about emotions in life and what it means to build relationships. Like math and sciences are just as important to teach kids as it is to be what it means to be human um, and what it means to be alive. So as a result, that's part of why I founded Philotimo Life. So um, in the early months of 2020, I was also looking for resources as to how to better navigate these discussions around death and grief and bereavement. And most of the resources that I found were very much, the best way I can describe it is like very vanilla scented candles against like a gray backdrop. And it just kind of lacked any type of energy. And I'm, I'm all about energy. Um, so I wasn't finding anything that kind of spoke to death in a way that I could digest or other folks could digest in a way that was um, approachable um, or didn't just want to make folks cry. Uh, so I ultimately ended up putting together my own resources. I built up a brand, I created a logo, and I started putting together educational media content for people to learn from as it comes to death and grief literacy. So we currently have a podcast that breaks down death in media. 
we have episodes that look at various mode models of grief. It's not just the five stages of grief, which is very popular. Um, we also have death in Disney movies. And we interview professionals in the space to share their stories as to how they ended up where they are right now. And in addition to this, we also provide corporate grief training to leaders um, to address these concerns from like a workplace perspective, because the idea that you can compartmentalize your life, I find a little bit ridiculous. You can't really compartmentalize when someone in your life is dying or is or has died, and then you have to go to work and pretend like nothing's happening. Um, so we know we have stats on this that in the U.S. alone, grief-related loss and productivity can cost some companies up to seventy-five billion dollars annually. Like that is a staggering amount of money that's lost, and that comes from employees feeling a lack of support. Um, them having to go through the emotions as a result of a death or a loss, feeling as if they have to go through it alone, changes in family dynamics, needing to readjust to this new reality. And a lot of people leaders just kind of lack these skills and these resources to navigate these situations um, with like the appropriate um, support. Uh, and to me, I think everyone is going to go through this at some point in their life. And it kind of does us a disservice when we're not given these resources. Um, so I, I wanted to come here and share my story and, and talk about my, my mom and my, uh, my upbringing. And I also wanted to let some of your lovely listeners know that I would love to offer um, three of them a free workshop in this regard for their workplace. Uh, all they have to do is just send me an email at info at filotimolife. That is P-H-I-L-O-T-I-M-O-L-I-F-E. Dot com And you just have to answer two questions. The first one is, what is your organization? And the second is, why do you think you can benefit from this type of workshop? We'll select the organizations and get started on putting a session together for you guys. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you doing that. You've done, can I ask how old you are now? I'm 29. So you haven't hit 30 yet. Mm. Nope. <laughs> you were making me think one of um, a previous daughter without a mom on the podcast did a funeral for her twenties when she turned 30. Wow. What a, it was such a, what an amazing like concept. So, um, you just made me, made me think of, uh, when you said 29, I'm like, Oh, you're right on the brink. If it's something you would be interested in, it was amazing. I'll send you, I'll send you her, her information. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Um, one of the things that I, I love that you brought up and that you have um, noticed was about how that your dad would speak to your teachers at the beginning of the year and that the ripple effect that that would have had for future classes. Like, yeah, have you ever talked to him about that? Like, I wonder if he even thinks about the ripple effect of, not in, of his. Oh. Not in depthly. I, I do remember, I think I was in grade five or six where, um, and maybe I'm just like making this up in my mind and like remembering what I want to remember. Um, so if I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, I feel as if I, I remember looking at notes that they would send home with the kids and one year it turned from dear parents to dear parents slash guardians. And I remember reading that and being like, oh my gosh, like this is huge. And I remember thinking as a kid who with, without a mom, um, I would think, oh, there's definitely kids without both parents. Like they're definitely living with like grandparents or their aunts and uncles. So I remember reading the guardian piece, uh, at the top of the letter and just, just being like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to yeah. think he, he played a role in that. 
but that might just mm-hmm. be a story I'm telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, even if he didn't in that, the whole Mother's Day, you know, because craft time in, in elementary school is such a huge thing. Every Mother's Day, you absolutely would be doing something on a, that Friday to take home to your mom for Mother's Day on Sunday. And so the fact just that they used the language, like you said, about or grandmother or aunt or mm-hmm. a special, you know, woman in your life, like that's so such um such a big deal such a big deal um and like you said he was a single dad in the early 90s I mean that's pretty pretty forward thinking so yeah um yeah yeah I really really appreciated that I totally know the Harvard Business Review article that you were talking about because I remember that one too um and just really appreciate your work in the death and grief literacy area because we do have so much work to do um, yeah. just to, yeah, to make the discussions not, um, I forget the word you used, um, to make it, I mean, I know you said something about the energy, but just to make the the conversations more socially acceptable. I, I come at it from the belief of when we recognize that death is not something that happens to life it's something that happens in life and that it's it's just a it's a part of life life and death the two sides of the same same coin um i look at birth very similarly birth and death very similar like we there's doulas for both and i have this belief that if we were to recognize how um finite life is and how temporary our existence is like truly recognize it like we, we talk about it now like yeah we're gonna die but actually recognize oh we're only here for a short amount of time and embed that ideology and that that thinking into our systems the way that we live will drastically change we won't be working 40 50 60 hours a week that would not be a thing that would be happening um how we interact with people would be vastly different and I think we, yeah, we collectively do ourselves a disservice when we kind of distract and push away from the realities of death. Um, this is happening right now, like in France, the the retirement rate is wanting to be increased to, I think, 67 or something. And like, that's not enough time to, to live life afterwards. If the, if the average life expectancy is like 75, 80. Um, so I, again, I fundamentally believe once we start to recognize that death is a part of life, we will fundamentally change how we live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right about um, your when you shared about that kids being sponges and that we deny them the ability to process what they're feeling, whether whether people want to put words to it or not. You're right. Kids totally are impacted by mm-hmm. um, things that happen to them, even when they're young. I mean, two, two years old, like you said, I don't know you you didn't have the verbal capacity to be able to share your feelings, but um, I know that you, you could feel it. And, and that, you know, people are, Oh, kids are resilient and they are resilient, but kids are also dang smart too. And Mm -hmm. you try to gloss over things and pretend like something's not happening or, you know, do that toxic positivity. Well, everything will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's an important time to be able to, like you said, teach them how to name grief, to know what it is when you're, when you're feeling it and experiencing it and just to share those kind of resources. And yeah. And I I think of one example, I remember reading when I was doing my studies in this area where 
how kids play is also how they process what's going on. So one story in particular that I'm thinking of is this this child would see her grandparents, her her grandpa or grandma in the hospital bed, and the they were they were kind of on um they were on hospice and they had cancer. And slowly the child's drawings ended up turning into um them drawing doctors and nurses. And all of a sudden they started to play with their dolls and one of the dolls would be sick and the other doll would be a doctor trying to help. That is the child processing what's going on around them to try to like understand what's happening. And so my, my one piece of advice for either adults who have children around them um, where a death may have taken place to a close loved one is start to pay attention to how the child is playing. Because yeah, to us, it's just like, yeah, they're playing, they're playing with their toys, it's all good. But how are they playing with their toys? Like how is something coming through in that way? Um, so I, yeah, I would definitely just recommend just paying a little close attention to that. Because I, I drew it, I drew my mom in the sky. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, it's not really, it's not really funny, but it kind of is that all these years later, you're like, I'm pretty sure I traumatized that kid. <laughs> <laughs> to say they have a story to say no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, you know, when kids come home from school and they ask questions about these things that you're like, where did you hear that? <laughs> I'd love to hear when that kid went home from school that day. Um, and just the other thing I wanted to touch on was when you were talking to your one friend and um, and offered the advice to sometimes just lie. Like when, when you first said it, I was like, oh, because it feels like that that is just then um, denying our reality. But then you kept totally. saying, you know, it, but it but it depends on the circumstance. And you said, you know, you, you feel the vibe and you decide, you know, what it is. And And I too have done that. Like if it's just a like a, um, casual acquaintance that I'm meeting for the first time, I'm probably never going to see that person again. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to get into it. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think, and every situation is different, which you said as you as you continue to share, and and I've done it too. I think we've all you done know. it, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, we will put all the information in the show notes. If people are listening to this in your car or running, you know, just come back to wherever you listen to the podcast and go to the show notes and I will put all of Maria's information in there. Um, Are you on Facebook too, or just Instagram? We're on Instagram and and Twitter. Um, We're on Facebook. Uh, We're also on LinkedIn. You can follow us pretty much everywhere. (laughs) Okay. All right. We will put all of that in the show notes. We'll put the I mean, she, she gave the email address for the three free, it's corporate workshops, correct? Corporate grief okay. training. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I think that's such a great idea. Um, and you can find all that in the show notes. Um, and so Maria, you know, I usually finish with, if you have a final word or something you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up. And if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> I feel like I said everything just really just when it comes to kids, just make sure you're paying attention and like lead with love. I think that's my main take. Just lead with love. Mm. Mm I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. And um, I'm happy to share all of your things. And, um, you know, that's, that's my hope with this platform is just for, to get knowledge out there for people to feel connection and community and uh, really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.